Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Life in the Pit for the year 2021. I hope everyone had a great holidays, has, uh, had a happy new year, is off to a great start. This is going to be a shorter episode today. Our first full-length episode is going to be this Friday, um, January the 8th, that we will be releasing episode number 31. I'll tell you a little bit about that episode uh, as soon as we are done with this today, but this is the next installment of Ask the Music Director. Once again, if you missed the first two parts of this, uh, I would definitely listen to uh, at least the first part of uh, part one, so you could know a little bit more about uh, the guest speakers who are answering these questions. But in essence, I gathered questions from you, you listeners, on various um, places and social media. And you asked thus far a total of 14 questions, and we have answered eight, eight of them already. And we're going to answer three more questions today. And, you know, you may be thinking to yourself with three or four questions per episode. That doesn't sound like a whole lot. But I have six different music directors from six different states, six different cities, and with a variety of experience. And uh, I like being able to present the variety of their answers. Sometimes you'll notice if you listen to earlier questions, a lot of times it's the same answer several times. So what you're getting is kind of validation of a, uh, a popular opinion or perspective. And then sometimes the questions have, uh, you'll, you'll hear different answers from the music directors, which just shows you that um, there's not always one way of thinking about things. So uh, I appreciate all the different perspectives. Again, you'll want to go back to the beginning of Ask the Music Director Part 1 to hear the longer introductions about uh, each of the speakers and what it is that they have been doing lately. Uh, but I'm going to give you the short version once again for this time. Here are the six music directors that we'll be hearing from today. My name is Brandon. I'm currently living in Boston, but I am from Chicago. This is Chris Tilly. I live in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Julie Danielson, and I live in Kansas City. My name is Matthew Croft. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. My name is Marcy Shago. I live in Germantown, Maryland. My name is Ron Murphy. And I am the resident music director at the Cumberland County Playhouse in Crossville, Tennessee. Okay, our first two questions today come from pit musicians. The first question is, what are some sacrifices you've made or have continually made? And what discipline do they come from? Is it coming from the pit, scene change, vocals, cues, etc.? Usually I'm cutting scene changes and overtures and entreacts and interludes and, you know, uh, score, basically. It's extra information, you know, especially if we've established songs and themes for different characters. It's like, hey, here's a little bit extra. And, you know, it drives the situation a little bit forward. I can't remember the last show I did where we played the like an like the actual overture. One time I played the West Side Story Overture, one time, um, and it wasn't even that. I think it was like, I don't even think it was the West Side Story Overture. I think it was just the the prologue that was in the movie, usually cutting scene changes, overtures, 
uh, things like that. That's usually my compromise, especially if it's down to time. Also, space. Um, I might sometimes be told, hey, we don't have enough, you know, like we just don't have enough space for space or money for, you know, 11 people. We need to take it down to five. And it's like sometimes it's like it's in the heights. It's already nine people. I can't bring this down anymore. (laughs) Phantom of the Opera. It's like, you know, Phantom, uh, Les Mis, uh, Miss Saigon, all those giant shows. It's like we can't pay for we can't pay for 18 musicians. Like, yeah, no, they're there. T- we, we can't do this. Phantom, I think is, there's a version for, I think 27 musicians. And it's like, that's, that's massive. It's like, you know, a high school could probably do that fine. But like, you know, you know a, a, a high school who's that's like well off, like in the middle of the suburbs could do, probably do it. But like, I don't know, an inner city school might not be able to do that. You know, barely even a community theater might be able to do that. Also, um, sometimes the pit is completely covered, which I like to be able to have an open pit. That way, um, the pit, the pit doesn't sound too boxy. And also, you know, during the intermission, uh, you know, folks can come up and see the pit and like see that it's actual, you know, an actual band of like twelve people playing this music live. Um, which is always fun and it's always incredible to see. And I always love being able to, you know, go down to the pit and see who's there. Sometimes I have friends that are in the pit, um, you know, either conducting or playing, but that's you. That's also a compromise I'll have to make. So I might say, they might say, Hey, we need to cover up the pit for this, that, and the other reason I might say, okay, but can there be some kind of pit feature outside of me waving my hand at the end? You know, maybe right before the second act can, the pit be acknowledged as being, you know, there. I think what you mean is knowing which things to fight for. My friend used to say, what hill do you want to die on? Like, is this the thing that is going to make or break the show? Um, I think the biggest sacrifice and thing I've learned in this process is um, scheduling. Of course, as music directors, we want all the time in the world to fix every little thing. But at some point you have to hand it over to the ensemble and to the singers and trust that they're going to put the work in and they're going to get it. And so, um, when the choreographer needs extra time and I'm like, but the music, but the notes, I have to learn like, okay, I have to put the notes into the email that's going to get sent out. And I have to trust that they're going to read them and take that note and fix the thing on their own. And when I get my 10 minute warm up, I might need to hit on a few of these spots, but, um, yeah, I think in a, in a perfect world, we'd all have as much time as we ever want to get these things done. But I've learned you really have to share the time and, uh, use it wisely and figure out what do you need to practice in person and what can you just write down and have it it, as a quick note. I have often had to edit vocal harmonies. After casting a show, sometimes I'll know that we don't have a group that can handle, like, six-part harmonies that show up a lot in shows. So I'll figure out how to do it with four parts, or two, maybe two-part women and one-part men. Uh, similarly, I've edited orchestrations to accommodate the number of musicians that we'll actually have because of space or budget limitations. That's something I've, I've done a lot of, actually, making smaller orchestrations that don't sound like there's lots of stuff missing. The next question is, 
How much negotiating power and pull does a music director have in a production to affect the course of the show? And also, how about with the board of the organization? For this, it really depends on the theater. And I tend to choose theaters that are collaborative, that do listen to each other in terms of the board and the staff and the creative team and the actors. When you are hired as an MD, you are hired as a musical expert as far as when it comes to community theater and some professional theaters with with a small enough staff. As the expert, you are called upon to make the decisions and to affect what's going on in the musical world of the production. And the board should be able to trust that you are looking out for the best interests of the theater, the best interests of the actors and the creative team, and respect the decisions. I find it difficult to work with any company that doesn't value what you are bringing to the table as a musical expert. So I choose not to work with companies that have that kind of an issue, that kind of a setup. It so depends. It really, really 100% depends on the production you're with. Um, if you're, if the rest of your production staff is just not good, if like they're not great people, and they're just kind of like, yeah, it's the music. It doesn't matter. Like the music in a musical. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, that that doesn't matter. But um, um. If they if they really are like we want every you know every member of this you know production on board with anything that everyone else says, you have a good chance of you know affecting the course of anything. If the people you're working with are down with you know are are, are trying to make your life as easy as it can be while you're trying to make their lives as easy as it can be, you know it's so easy to say hey can we not do Thursdays. Right. Because Thursdays, there are like, you know, like, let's say there are a bunch of holidays on Thursdays. Can we just eliminate Thursday? Right. That just doesn't sound like a good idea. And especially Thanksgiving is on the way, you know, you know, like your Thanksgiving was, you know, a few weeks ago. You know, so that might be something you want to you would want to say. It also depends on what you're trying to negotiate. If it's something where it's just it just seems unreasonable, like, you know, like you know you have a budget of i don't know let's say let's say you have a budget of 5 grand for you know the for the rights any other copy press you know key change thing you might need to do which i think MTI does i think Concord does you know if you're you know if your lead just can't hit a high a you can bring it down to like you know the key of f so she can hit a high f or something like that um if it's if like you have 5 grand and you're asking for another two, that's something that might be a little unreasonable. Unless it's like, yeah, we have, you know, we have literally like $2 million to work on this thing. Just ask and you'll get exactly what you need, you know, which does not happen often, you know, even on Broadway. Um, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really happen that often, you know, anywhere. But you should you you generally should have a lot uh, you know a decent amount of, of of power specifically on the music side. Um, the director shouldn't be coming in and saying, "Hey, can you just you know not play this?" Or like, "Hey, your musicians don't really sound that good. Can we fix that?" That shouldn't be you know any anyone else's job but yours. I usually am music directing for Music Theater Kansas City, and I'm also their artistic director. So in the end, I have quite a bit of pull. 
And because of that, I'm also, I'm basically what I would call the resident music director. So I, we bring in new directors, new choreographers, but I'm always the music director. So I also feel like because of my, um, seniority in the organization and, um, like the consistency I have, I know a lot of the people who are auditioning for us. I seem to have a little bit more pull there. I've also been a director for some productions. And so I think directors look and see that I know what I'm talking about. I know how to match, uh, and achieve their vision. Um, I don't think that that's always true, but I think if you can really, um, um, beyond being just like a great pianist or something, if you can be a good team member and a good collaborator, then they will usually, um, give you a bit more negotiating power. They'll lean to you on certain issues if you approach them professionally and respectfully, and especially if you are willing to do the same for them when they need it. So again, picking your battles. It depends entirely on the organization or the production staff, the specific people involved, and the relationship that you as a music director already have with that organization or with those people. My personal experience has generally been that I've had more influence with professional theater productions than in community theaters. And I think it's because even though they may not know me as well as people in some of the community theaters that I've worked, uh, professional theater, the production staff or the artistic director or, or whoever, they trust and expect that the people that they're working with will know what they're doing. So if I come to the director or whoever and I say, I need this or that's not going to work, they'll respond with, oh, okay, or let's figure this out or, hmm, let me think on that. That's not to say you never get that reaction in community theater or that you always get it in professional theater, but that has been my experience. We have one more question that we're going to answer today. As I'm sure you noticed, not every music director answered every single question, but this last question is one of the few that every single music director provided an answer for. So you're going to hear six answers to this next question, and it comes from an actor. When listening to auditions for actors, do you prefer hearing music close to the character and or style of the show being auditioned for, or music that can show a range and different techniques? For actors, I think this is an interesting question. For If it's an initial audition, I would really, pref- I prefer to hear things that are, and not necessarily, I don't need you to come in with something specific from that show, but something that goes shows that you understand the idea of the sound that we're going for and something that shows you off. So bring in something for, if I'm music directing, say, songs for a new world, bring in something in that style of like Jason Robert Brown, Adam Guan, uh, some of these shows that are, you know, modern musical theater, piano, complicated rhythms and harmonies, um, show off what you can do. And then at a callback, I might break it down and be more specific and say, okay, now sing from the show or sing these specific things. Um, but I would rather an actor come into an audition and present their best self for that show. If it's a rock show, bring in their best rock and roll song in that style of show. If it's a classic Broadway, bring me their best Rodgers and Hammerstein-esque golden age piece. Um, you know, I, I would give some freedom as to picking that. And then I find it easier to winnow down from there into the people we want to call back and ask for specific, specific things at that point. 
Um, what I like to listen for, for just a base audition, is that I want to be able to hear what an actor is capable of. For the first audition, I want to hear what actors are, what what their strongest part, you know, they're going to show me what is what they're strong with, what is the, their strength. So, and then a callbacks is where I want to hear auditions in the same style of the show that we're doing. So it's just, it's um, one or the other. Okay. In a perfect world, I would want to hear both. I would want them to find a song that fits them and their range and capabilities that also fits the style of the show. Um, character, not as much unless you're like really going for a certain role and you want to tell us that, then, you know, go for it. I always say, it's sitting for you on a silver platter sometimes if you just come and take it. But um, there's so many songs out there. Uh, there's always an option that will fit all the fill all those slots. You just might not know the song. But if you just stretched your mind a little and did a little bit extra research, I like to tell my students to go beyond the easy option. So if you are thinking of this show and you think that singing popular from Wicked is like the perfect song choice, it's like, okay, let's just go one step past popular. Maybe there's another song from Wicked or maybe a song that Kristen Chenoweth originated in a different show, or maybe Stephen Schwartz has something else that has kind of a similar feel. Uh, What other characters are like Galinda? Um, There's just so many places you can go that are literally like one step past the easy option. So I really encourage people to think hard about their audition choices because for me, that is a big uh, factor in my decision is what they actually sang and and why they chose it. There are certain things that I want to be able to see. Um, So I don't really want to know that you can sing whistle tones uh, unless the character sings whistle tones at some point in the show. Like... (laughs) I have never, I mean, I've never seen that, but if you're auditioning for a character, I personally would rather hear you, you know, do something in the style of that, of the, of the character, um, more than just like, oh, this is how I sound and like, I can do this and you know, whatever. Um, however, that is a close second. Um, if we're doing an old show, right. Um, let's say we're doing uh, 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 them damn Yankees. That's the first like old show that came to mind or like gypsy, right? We're doing those damn Yankees or gypsy. I don't want to hear Hamilton, right? I don't want to hear the, you know, the very pop sound or jagged little pill or mean girls. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something that, you know, something that you would have done in the forties, fifties or sixties. I want to hear you try and emulate that and also emulate that kind of character. You know, the, you know, these characters aren't, you know, may not be as aggressive and as forthcoming as um, modern theater might be. So, you know, there's a there's there's an added sweetness, especially with uh, with uh, traditional female roles. There's an added, you know, sweetness to the character. You know, I might want to try and see that, especially in, in with the, the traditional male character, uh, male characters. There's this kind of I like either pompous or just, you know, smooth and suave uh, X factor. You know, I want to, I want to see that. Can you, can you do that? Can you give me Gene Kelly if we're going to do singing in the rain? Not to be, I not, not to say I want Gene Kelly, right. But to say, can you give me that swagger that, you know, 
that thing that he had. I prefer to hear people sing or play in the style of the show. It just makes for a quicker decision because I can envision them playing in that style, them singing in that style, and it suits the characters right away. I can definitely listen to other types of music. Sometimes I do want to hear different styles, and then I will ask them for another song. But for the most part, it's just easier to hear what I'm looking for right up front. It just saves time. If you're auditioning for a single show, of course I prefer something in the style of the show. Something that shows me if you can do what I will need you to do for that specific show, or if you're interested in a specific role, that you can do that specific role. That being said, I think a lot of actors spend way too much time and effort and probably stress trying to find the perfect audition song. Just find something that's close, clearly in the the neighborhood, in the ballpark of the style, and that you know well enough or can prepare well enough, and that is right for your voice. So you you can do the song and show me what I need to know. And that's it for today's edition of Ask the Music Director. And again, I just want to thank my six guests for once again uh, providing such thoughtful and uh, a variety of answers to those questions. We'll have at least one more installment of this. So part four will happen at some point in January, uh, early in the week, kind of like this episode. Um, But that brings me to Friday, which is episode 31. So... It's going to be a little bit outside the box. We're actually not talking directly about the theater pit, but we're talking to uh, somebody who comes from the administration side of arts. And I thought it would be a great episode to start the year out with because we ended up talking quite a bit about mindset, about goal setting, uh, about just what you have to do to succeed, whether you're a pit musician or whether you're doing something else. And it's just a different side of everything. So before we get into more direct conversations with people who are actually in the pit, I thought this would be a special episode to start the year out with. So that is on episode number 31, and it comes out this Friday, January 8th. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music, or you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can leave feedback or find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. And please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.